0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at tiaa.org/promises pay off. Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Negotiate Anything. I'm Kwame Christian. I'm a business lawyer by trade, but my passion lies in teaching you the keys of persuasion and conflict resolution. My goal is to empower you to engage in these conversations confidently and effectively by not only sharing what works, but by also uncovering why these techniques work through revealing the psychological principles that lie behind persuasion. This podcast is brought to you by the American Negotiation Institute, where we put on workshops that are designed to make your difficult conversations easier. These leadership workshops focus on conflict management and negotiation and will give you the confidence you need to get more of what you want without jeopardizing relationships. Check out the link in the description if you're interested in learning more. Our guest today is Amy J. I invited Amy onto the show today to talk about her experience as an attorney negotiating in procurement as a contracts manager. In this role, she reviews, negotiates, and prepares contracts and deals with Fortune 500 companies. Amy has a unique background that started with a career in computer engineering and eventually led to a successful career in law. And one of my favorite things about Amy is that she has a passion for inspiring people to make moves, take chances, and live life without regrets. And she does this by hosting the Chasing Dreams podcast, which highlights people each week who have achieved their dreams by taking chances and delves into how the lessons learned by the guests can be applied to anyone listening. I know you're going to get a lot out of this one. So without further ado, let's jump into the interview. Amy, thanks for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: No, it's my pleasure. It's nice to have a fellow podcaster on the show again.
1: It's always great being on the other side of the interview. I don't do it often, but it's a lot of fun.
0: Oh, yeah, it is a lot of fun because now you like the messy work of editing. It doesn't <laughs> doesn't fall on your shoulders. Exactly. So. <laughs> I don't
1: have to worry about all that little stuff of note taking and whatnot. I'm sorry, you're gonna have to do that.
0: I know. I'm assuming I'm gonna have to take a lot of notes, but I'm, we're excited to have you on the show talk about our favorite subject of negotiations so how about you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and what you do
1: yeah sure absolutely hey guys so my name is amy j i am a lawyer a contract manager a podcaster a motivational speaker and all-around fun person in my opinion i know that's a little <laughs> self-serving I a little bit. I okay <laughs> fair enough thank you co-sign so i had an interesting life i was actually a computer engineer originally. When I went to undergrad, my grad was computer graphics. I worked at NASA. So I had that kind of tech background, but then I got bored, which a lot of people don't realize that can actually happen when you have a good job and you just get bored. And I was honestly bored at NASA and people are like, what? You were bored at NASA? I was running numbers. That's really all I was doing. And so there was no challenge for me. And my sister, my twin sister, was actually in the process of thinking about going to law school. And I was like, you know, I want to go to law school. I'll do that. That sounds challenging. I feel like if I go to law school, I'll be equipped to kind of just be able to do anything. Sure, it's at a six-figure debt, but why not? I think that would be the move to make. I don't regret that decision. I think I did learn a lot in law school. I learned confidence. I learned the ability to handle things and look at problems. I learned to negotiate better at law school. I think life experience helped improve that, but my life has been one where I decided that I needed to do what made me happy. Law school at that point was. I spent some time with my sister, had a great time, learned patents, did patent law for about, uh, I guess it was four years. Went to Philadelphia, had fun there with Comcast. I was a contract manager for about two and a half, almost three years, not quite, and then got pulled back into the Baltimore... Birdland area, and now I'm a contract manager with CareFirst, which is just as much fun, less stress, but I'm having a ball.
0: That is a fascinating career path that you took. And yeah, I'm, I don't I'm think you knew all that. No, I didn't. First of all, you're a twin. That's cool. NASA. That's cool. Computer <laughs> scientist. That's cool. Geez, I'm sitting here learning. Like, who are you? <laughs> I just know the most. It's recent the
1: layers. Stuff. It's yeah, the layers. Yeah,
0: exactly. That's cool. So. Let me ask you this. Your background as a computer scientist and the time you spend at NASA, I'm assuming that means you're a pretty analytical person. How does that impact the way you approach negotiations?
1: So one, yes, I am analytical. I was at UMBC as a Meyerhoff scholar. And so the focus there is science and further education. And so my mind is kind of geared towards science. And so when I see a problem, regardless of what it is, whether it's a math problem, science problem, or a problem that has to be discussed, I look at it from all angles because science is about data. And so when you look at a problem, you try to gather the data. What are the issues? Who is involved? Until you have all that information, you can't really analyze the problem. And so it does play a part. It does have a, an effect on how I look at things. So with science, it's all about gather the data, identify the problem, Use the data to kind of figure out the solution. And that's kind of how I see and I guess how I approach things. If somebody is like, hey, we're out of milk. Okay, what's the data? We used to have milk. We don't have milk anymore. We should probably get milk. It seems like a simple problem, but what is the actual problem of not having milk? Did you want milk? Is that why it's a problem? What's going on? So until you ask the questions, until you get the answers, do the research I think you have to have data and you have to ask the questions. So scientific approach is my approach, but I don't think that's my only approach because I think that's just one way of doing it. Science can sometimes be too black and white. And so you have to put an overlay on that.
0: Right. I really can uh, appreciate that approach because, again, it focuses on the gathering of data. And I think sometimes we people end up freestyling these conversations and not taking the time to do the necessary research to be adequately prepared. And so that probably serves you very well in your negotiations. And I also appreciate the recognition that sometimes science can be a little bit black and white when compared to the social dynamics that apply to personal interaction and persuasion. I just finished uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson's book called Astrophysics for People in a Hurry. Mm. Fascinating book. And one of the points that he makes is that in many ways, physics as a discipline is simpler than something like psychology or sociology. Because with physics, the same laws of physics that apply here on Earth apply on the farthest star that we can see. That's just how the laws work. He says you don't need to have a sign that says obey gravity <laughs> because you do not it's not a choice. That's the rule. But when it comes to social interactions, the same persuasive equation that you apply to one person could work incredibly well. But then you take that exact same persuasion equation and put it on somebody else and it might even offend them, not just fail. So blending those two approaches probably serves you well, but also recognizing the limits of both and when to change from one to the other probably helps too.
1: Well, I think that's my life experience that taught me that, right? So for 24 some years, for me, it was scientific method. That was what I knew. That's what I learned. That's how I applied things. When I went to law school, it's the entire opposite kind of a mindset. The answers are to any question, it depends, maybe. So we go from black and white to grayscale. My approach has been to kind of mesh the two because I'm not saying scientific method is wrong. And I'm not saying that the law school approach of it depends is right. I'm saying you got to work with both. You have to adjust to the scenario you're at
0: we are now offering conflict management and negotiation workshops for companies. If you like the content here and you think your team would benefit from getting a customized seminar, then all you need to do is email me or go to the American negotiation Institute's website to learn more. And now back to the show.
1: The LinkedIn podcast network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years,
0: we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go decades of savings lost in days. All showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the minds of visionaries, the desks of disruptors. I'm Laura Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast. Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a
1: part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today.
0: Exactly. Oh, Mm -hmm. this is cool. This is very, very (laughs) cool. So how about we start off by talking a little bit about... um, how do you find yourself in negotiations at work? How, what is the context that you find yourself using this skill the most?
1: So it's interesting because at Comcast and Care First, both places, I'm a contract manager. And so negotiations aren't different from one place to the other, despite the fact that one is telecommunications, the other one is healthcare, right? So regardless of the fact that there are two different fields, the approach I take is still the same and has worked for the most part in both. And so the approach I take is kind of what I started describing, which is what is the data? What is it I need to know? What is the concern? What is it we're trying to do? So I can only really control my side of the negotiation. So it's important that I talk to who I'm representing, who I'm supporting. And so if it is John Doe and John Doe is like, hey, we want to buy a car, okay, okay. So what are we trying to do? I mean, there's so many cars, there's so many factors. What is it that you want and what is it you're willing to give on? Like, where are we? What are our hard lines and what do we want to talk about? And so I use different field because honestly, it doesn't matter what field you're in. You still got to gather that data. And so all I can do is gather the data from the person I'm talking to. So what I also ask is, can we find out what the other side wants? What is it that they're looking for? What are their goals? And let's see if we can't go at this together. Because in the end, we both want a deal. We want the best deal as possible for both sides, but we want a deal. So if we come at it, if we approach it as a cooperative negotiation versus an antagonistic one where we're going in hard and we're just going to fight and say no to everything they ask for, well, I just don't see how that's productive for anyone. Because that's not getting us closer to a deal, if anything, that might be pushing us away from a deal. And so if we come in from an angle of cooperation, let me be clear, though. Cooperation doesn't mean just giving everything up and saying yes to everything they ask for. Cooperation means let's listen to what they're saying. Let's think about it and see how we can help them get what they want while at the same time getting what we want. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely. No, these are really great points. And a couple of things that I want to focus on. First, what you said about going deeper into the data gathering process. And then after that, I want to talk about the idea of cooperation in negotiation with the data gathering. I think one of the things that's really interesting about your perspective and your situation that other people can learn from is that in your situation, you are negotiating on behalf of a company. Mm -hmm. And so as an attorney, we have a client. You're in-house, so you have one big client. For many professionals, you might not have that same kind of fiduciary relationship with a third party, but you have stakeholders and you have to consider what are the interests of your stakeholders. So not just kind of understanding from your perspective as an attorney, okay, this is what we need. Let me go into this conversation. You actually take the time and gather internal data to make sure that you're serving the interests of your organization as a whole and the individual stakeholders within the organization, because there might be some interests that are a little bit different within an organization and having those conversations allows you to negotiate more effectively because you have that information.
1: Absolutely. If you look at it, you have a different team. So, I have a team of my own contract managers. Then we report and support salespeople. I'm just going to talk in general. So, if we support salespeople, they have their own managers, directors, quotas that they're responsible for, but they fall under different, maybe regional groups, different geographical locations who have leadership. And so, they have people that they have to kind of oversee and have goals and quotas and things like that that they're also looking for. So, while On one level, there is someone who's like, hey, this is what it is. This is what we're doing. I may get an email from their boss's boss or even a different department that's like, hey, this is going to be great for the company. Here are some things that we need to kind of hold firm on. Or here are some things that we need to consider as we're looking at this. We want to get the deal, absolutely. But here are some things we can't give on. And here are some things we have some flexibility. So, keeping all of that information. I may not know to go after that myself. They may come to me. But at the same time, I also have a duty to kind of look at this and take the best interest of the company and say, okay, so John Doe wants to steal. These other people are coming and saying, hey, here are my limits. What is in the best interest of the company though? Because I'm responsible for that as well. How can I help the company get what it needs, whether it's community service recognition or being able to help, get promotions. It could be anything, right? But I have to keep that in mind as well. So aside from getting the input from others, I also have a duty to think, what can I also do? But you're keeping all of that in mind. And it can be overwhelming. But honestly, if you're gathering data, keep track of it. Write it down. You should always have that stuff written and understand what's going on. And before you jump on any kind of call, make sure everyone's on the same page. Some people may not like to hear the other input that they're getting. What do you mean we can't do that? We should have, listen, okay, we're all here to get the deal done. What I want you to understand is there are some things we can and can't do. Please don't speak about that on the call. Let me do the talking. And we're going to do the best thing we can. Cause that's the other thing, right? When you get on a call, you hope that it's just two people that are going to work together. But sometimes you always have other people on the call who may want to speak up. I've had calls where some people, Them speaking up has actually not been the best idea. And I'll be like, hey, Joe, if you don't mind, we can talk offline. I'll go ahead and take it from here. I've actually had to step in because what they were saying was making the other side riled up. Mm -hmm. That goes against cooperative
0: Right. And what you're uncovering here is the various layers to negotiation, because what at its surface, at the surface might present itself as a simple negotiation between company A and company B, and you're a representative of company A. After you do a thorough analysis of all of the stakeholders within your organization and the parties that are involved in Mm -hmm. the deal within your organization, you might uncover conflicts within the organization. Yes. One department wants one thing, another department wants another thing. And so what initially presented itself as one big negotiation just turned into a complex set of mini negotiations internally that you need yes. to rectify before you hop on that call and have that conversation with company B.
1: Absolutely. You have to find who you report to and say, OK, listen, I could pull the trigger and make these decisions, but that's not what they pay me for. What do you want to do? If you want me to pull the trigger, I can. but." I assume you have a decision you want to make because each role, each department has their own goal. Finance, they want to save money as much as possible. They don't want to give it away. Sales wants the deal. Their commission is contingent upon that. Leadership has their own, you're thinking of the best interest of the company. So really somebody has to pull that trigger. And you give the opportunity to your leadership, the ones you report to and say, here's where we're at. Present the situation. What would you like to do? Because When they talk, everyone's looking at their own deals. If we look at Hollywood, right? Everyone is trying to sell their script, their movie. But sometimes the good negotiator is able to get more than just that movie made. Maybe they get the movie plus a first look deal because it's a lower cost because they sold it. Isn't that a better deal than a little bit more money? Because now not only have they sold their script, they also have another opportunity with these guys to extend the relationship. So... You got to kind of look at everything and not just if you just give it to the screenwriter, they're like, yeah, sell this. That's cool. Why don't we try to build a relationship with this company? Because then not only do we sell the script, we've now built a relationship for you to extend the partnership to get more money. Because we're not saying, hey, you can have the next script free. We're just saying, hey, you'll give us a shot. So with all negotiations, don't be boxed in by what you're doing. Think outside the box
0: in order to think outside the box effectively and be creative within these negotiations, it requires an expanded mindset on what is valuable to the company. Yes. And sometimes we have this myopic perspective on what value mm-hmm. is. And we focus so much on the dollars and cents that we miss out on, like you said, the value that is built into the relationship and other opportunities or community recognition, like you mentioned.
1: And I think that's our role as a negotiator. Everybody has their own thing that they want. They have their own mindset. Your job is to look for that mindset as well, but also for the company or whoever you're reporting to. For me, it was Comcast. Now it's CareFirst. How can I benefit the company the most, right? So thinking about that as you're doing now, that's not going to always happen. You're not going to be able to pull that rabbit out of the hat every time, but you never know. You never know unless you ask. I mean, that's the one thing about negotiation, right? One of those small basic principles, you never know unless you ask. The answer is always going to be no, if you never say anything.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Very simple, but often overlooked.
1: People always say cliches are overrated. And I'm like, they're cliches for a reason. Right. And that is a cliche. There's so many cliches, but I'm like, yeah, it's a cliche for a reason, though. It's not because it's overrated. It's because it's true.
0: No, that makes sense. And, And it applies perfectly here. And for you, with regard to cooperative negotiation, One of the criticisms that is levied against cooperative negotiation is that it's unrealistic because you're going against another company where Mm -hmm. you have opposing interests. So how can you reconcile the differences between the camp that says, oh, it needs to be cooperative. You always need to work together. And the camp that says, no, it's competitive. Get as much as you can and forget about trying to be all lovey dovey with the other side.
1: I think it's about setting expectations. So whether you do it in email form or you do it before you get on the call, you kind of feel out the other side. Because you're right, I can't dictate what the other side is going to do. But and it's only happened less than probably, and people are like, no, it hasn't. I want to say less than probably 20% of my negotiations, people have been aggressive. I'm not saying it hasn't happened. It's not as common as people would expect. What I try to do is when we get on the call, make sure that everybody understands, hey, we all want to get this deal. We all want to get to a point where we can make it happen for the people we're representing. That's what we're going to do. To do that, however, there are some concerns we need to go over. Make sure before I get on a call, I try to find out what all their concerns are. I try to do some research to say, okay, so if they're concerned about X, Y, and Z, let me find out what I can do about X, Y, and Z before I get on the call. And so if I come onto the call and say, hey guys, we're trying to work together. We're all trying to get this deal. There are just a few areas of concern. Listen, I got this beforehand. I'm able to give you X in this way. It may not be exactly what you wanted, but I can do it in this way and we can both be happy. If that's okay, what about Y? Here's something else that we can kind of look into. Now, it doesn't always work. I understand Z is still a concern for you. I'm still looking into that. Let me take it offline and see what I can do. I'm not saying, yes, I can give it to them. And I'm not saying, no, I can't give it to them. So I am taking it off and saying, hey, I still want to make this work. Give me a shot. I'm going to try and pull some strings. So again, I'm working with them. I'm not shutting anything down. I'm not trying to bully them into taking the deal. I want to show them through example that we're going to work together on this.
0: That's brilliant. And to your point about the cooperative negotiation style, it's demonstrated, at least in laboratory settings and anecdotal reports from people who utilize that. When you negotiate cooperatively, you expand the pie and it makes it closer to the proverbial win-win situation. Now, of course, there are going to be some listeners out there who are like, well, you know, I'm a litigator, so (laughs) you can't play that game as much. But in many business scenarios, there's going to be flexibility that allows for cooperation and it typically allows for better deals for both sides. And another thing that you mentioned is setting the expectation beforehand essentially what you're doing is you're framing the conversation putting a yes. storyline over the conversation saying hey we want to work together these are some of your concerns these are some of our concerns but we'd like to work together and talk through this. And when you create a storyline for your conversation through the the act of framing, what you want to do is you want to frame it in in terms that makes it a a yesable proposition. And so you are being, with the way that you framed it, you're being very reasonable. You're being very collaborative and very cordial. And it would be almost comically bad for them to reject that frame and say hey you just said you want to be my friend I don't want to be your friend it's very unlikely that that happens but as a better negotiator it's important for us to kind of take the lead in these conversations and frame it appropriately. Because if we sit back and let the other person frame the conversation initially, they might frame it in a combative way. And it's really difficult to pull the relationship back if it's been framed negatively from the beginning.
1: So in a few ways, you try to be upfront about it. As much as possible, I talk to my sales guys, listen, this is where we're going with this. And I know you're very good at your jobs, but I want you to come from a point of cooperation here. And again, they have their own goals and mindsets. And so I need to make sure they're on the same page of let me talk because I don't want you to set anything back. And by being cooperative, there are two things that are bought. One, goodwill, goodwill with the other side. And two, I have had an experience, and it's actually recent, where by being cooperative, the legal on the other side wasn't as receptive to it their stakeholders were, who were on the call. And so they came back and were like, listen, I can see you guys want to work with us. We're going to talk about this internally and we'll get back to you. And so that was after the call, in a different call, they called, like, without legal, they kind of reached out to the salespeople like, we got that impression. You guys want to work with us. We want to as well. We're going to see what we can do about this. And so you may not get a response that is exactly how you want it, but if the intent And the spirit of their response is in line with what you're trying to get. Meet them halfway. Because that goodwill you build from that relationship can be very powerful.
0: I love it. That's a great example. I think, again, sometimes we look at the opposing party or the other side and we look at them as a monolith, So everybody Mm -hmm. in that team is like this. (laughs) But in reality, they're a group of individuals as well. And sometimes part of the strategy you need to um, utilize in your negotiation is figuring out who the party within the organization is that would be most receptive to what you're saying. And maybe they can be your ambassador. As attorneys, obviously, ethically, we can run into some problems. So uh, for those people who are listening who are not attorneys – Lawyers are not allowed to talk to non-lawyers if they are represented. So sometimes we're stuck. (laughs) So if if the lawyers mean, well, that's our only option ethically. But if you're not an attorney and you're not, if you don't have those ethical constraints, then you can think a little bit more creatively about who in the other organization would be most receptive to persuasion. And so that's something else to consider when you're doing the overall stakeholder analysis and gathering the data, like you said, Amy, before the real negotiation begins.
1: Exactly. And, you know, knowing who the people on your side are. Like, I've had calls where I can't do anything. I'm like, hey, guys, I can't. They've taken it back. I can't call them again. Now it's in their hands. However, my John Doe, his manager was like on the call. He was like, all right, I'm going to check in on them. You can do that. I can't. But I know if John Doe had said that, like, um, John, you probably shouldn't do that. Knowing if John is one who may set it back. But if John's manager, Dave, was like, I'm going to reach out to them. And I'm like, "Okay, that's fine, because Dave is a good negotiator in, in his own way. He has great people skills. He knows to kind of work them. He's a schmoozer, if you will. Then it's cool. And it may happen without you knowing. They don't have to check in with you every time. They may just do this on the side. That's also possible. But if you know something kind of, you know, if you have some kind of control of if you can keep the people that are problematic from setting something up negatively, then you, f- you should probably stop it. Exactly. You should sh- step in there.
0: Exactly. Oh, man, this has been great. This is really, really great stuff. And so, again, this is one of those situations where you need to come back on the show because I know there are more gems that you have to share. <laughs> but before you go, can you tell the audience about your show and what you've been working on and how they can keep in touch?
1: Absolutely. So, Kwame well, I mean, has actually been on the show, guys. I have a podcast. It's called Chasing Dreams with Amy J. And it's a blast. As of this recording, we are at 144 episodes, which is mind boggling. Off the top of my head, I can't remember what number Kwame was, but he was on the show. And he was amazing. We talked negotiation, of course. And so you guys should definitely check it out. You can find it all at amyj21.com slash chasing dreams that will get you there and oh, kwami was episode 120 so if you go to amyj21.com slash episode 121 you will find kwami's episode but in general have fun with it i love talking to people who are passionate about their dreams and are happy and i record the show and the episodes to encourage others to do the same because life is too short for you to live with regret so make a move take a chance chase your dreams
0: i love it I love it. Well, thanks again for coming on the show. This was really, really helpful.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. I had a blast.